Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com coming to you after the summer break, which turned out to be a little longer than expected. Um, coming to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And uh, today to kick off this season of autumn programmes here at TMI, I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast Dr. Krish Kandaya, who is, uh, well, all sorts of things. <laughs> Founding director, vice president, doctoral supervisor of a huge array of Christian charities, leadership initiatives, university positions, etc., etc. And I think I'll, I'll have to defer to him to tell us about all that information as we go along. Dr. Kandaya, thank you ever so much for joining us on the programme. My pleasure, Julian. Lovely to spend time with you. Well, um, you'll forgive me if I do start the conversation in this way, but I just can't resist it. I'm going to say to you, is there anything that you haven't done in life? <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Loads of things I've never done. Uh, I've never climbed a mountain and I'm not very good at uh, art. So plenty of things. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, do, you, uh, do you want to start off, though, by telling us about what some of this myriad of things that you have done involves? Sure. There's a whole bunch of positions that I've held because I've got a wide range of passions. Um, the primary passion at the moment is around trying to find adoptive homes and foster homes for children waiting in the care system. So we founded a charity called Home for Good. More details at homeforgood.org.uk. Um, but I'm also interested in academic uh, research, particularly the interface between Christianity and culture. And so that's what my kind of doctoral work was around. And I still lecture and speak and write into that space. Mm. And you did your doctoral work on the theology of Leslie Newbegin, I understand. How does that connect with modern culture? Oh, Leslie Newbegin was a cross-cultural missionary to India uh, for about 40 years. And uh, when he retired with his wife, they decided to catch the bus back from India to England, uh, just to kind of gradually kind of ease their way into uh, Western culture again. And uh, as he arrived back in the UK, he realised that the the good news of Jesus was not a normal part of British culture. In fact, um, Western culture was increasingly hostile to it. And so he was the one that really helped us reintroduce the idea that mission was something that doesn't happen overseas, but actually needs to happen back here at a home base, if you like. And uh, the whole idea of missional engagement with Western culture, thats that was those new begins work. Yes, I see. So sort of make us feel slightly less comfortable in our position here, that we really do need to reach people on our own turf. Yeah, and that's increasingly true in an increasingly secularised society. You know, I work a lot with social workers, and sometimes they tell me, you know what, when someone says that they're a Christian, that actually rings kind of alarm bells and red flags for people that seem to be deviant behaviour. And so, you know, helping a culture that's that's increasingly distant from... Uh, some of the values and ideas of the Christian faith to see, you know, the truth value in it, but also the societal value in Christianity is uh, a really exciting opportunity for the church. And, mm-hmm. and just uh, before we leave this issue here about your own career, you were president of the London School of Theology, which um, I don't think a lot of people will know much about, although it's a, certainly in the States anyway, but uh, it is a very influential institution, isn't it? Yeah, it's still the largest interdenominational theological college uh, in Europe. And uh, it was the first in the UK to offer PhDs outside of the kind of normal secular kind of setup. Mm. And it's had a long commitment to biblical scholarship and you know, cultural engagement. So it was great fun working there. Mm. But the work with fostering and adoption, particularly the, with the refugee crisis, really rocketed over the last year. So Absolutely. I found it difficult to balance the two. So sure. focusing on uh, what I think God specifically called me to do. 
Mm, absolutely great. Uh, so we're going to be talking about two things here. First of all, you have a media project going, which you uh, recently initiated called Books for Life, um, which can be found at booksforlife.uk, um, which I know you're very keen to talk about. And then uh, in a few minutes from that, we're going to be talking about your book Paradoxology, which you published a couple of years ago. Um, yes. So first of all, tell us about this Books for Life, which was I, I'm calling it a media project. I don't know what you call it. Um, what's it all about? <laughs> So when I first became a Christian, I came uh, from a, a non-Christian family. My dad was a Hindu. Mum had grown up in the church, but wasn't it wasn't part of her normal life anymore. And uh, so I had loads of questions. I was a teenager. I was being asked loads of questions by my mates at school. You know, what about science? What about evolution? What about all the other religions? What about suffering? And so I, I didn't have a lot of places I could go with those questions. So I ended up at my local Christian bookshop and uh, asking the guy there and basically he pointed me in the direction of some fantastic christian literature and some authors that, that really became you know friends not necessarily personal friends but friends through their writing yes. uh, people like john Stott uh, or jim packer uh, people like john calvin and martin luther and uh, he was just such a helpful person and i found that christian literature really became part of my spiritual discipline it was a way that i grew in my faith and uh, it helped me in, in the witness I was trying to be at school and later at university. Mm. And uh, we're living in a cultural moment in the UK, at least, maybe in many parts of the Western world, where Christians aren't reading as they used to. I'm a big fan of online tools and podcasts like your own, Julian, but there's something about the deep learning that comes through consistent deep reading. And so I'm trying to encourage the church back to some of that um, biblical and Christian literacy and at a time when there's all this cultural shift happening, so many things that people accepted as normal 20 years ago are being questioned. It's time that Christians knew their faith inside and out. So really committed to helping Christians re-engage with some of those Christian classics and some of the brilliant new books that are coming out. So we've launched this project, Books for Life, to inspire Christian literacy. Okay, so you say, um, well, actually on the website you say spiritual reading. You want to encourage people to re-engage with that. And of course, the, the kind of thing that comes to mind when I think of that is things that are rather in-house and, you know, they're, they're for edification, let's use a Christianese kind of word there. Um, but what about things like, you know, serious theology and apologetics? Are you in, encouraging people to engage with that as well? Yeah, what, what we're doing is we're interviewing significant Christian leaders and just asking them which are the books, the three books that have kind of most influenced their spiritual development. Right. And uh, we spent time with Jay John, uh, with Pete Gregg, with Matt Redman, with Rachel Gardner. Um, Tom Wright, hopefully, is coming up in the autumn. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're getting a real variety of the kind of books that have helped people. And we're also then selecting some of the best new books that have come out that will help to equip people to live well for God. So the, the, the wonderful thing about um, Christian literature, there's such a breadth and depth out there. So sometimes it's serious theology, sometimes it's Christian biographies. You hear about men and women who've gone before us and lived their lives out for God faithfully. Uh, sometimes it's more uh, kind of artsy, sometimes it's biblical studies. Mm. We're just trying to say, look, there's a whatever your hunger, there's, there's books out there that will kind of help you grow and develop. Mm. 
Well, one of the things that Francis Schaeffer, of course, always said was that there's a culture of anti-intellectualism within the evangelical yeah. scene. Now, I mean, being a little bit more broad about that, he, I mean, he would say that one should engage, of course, from a Christian point of view with the whole of culture. Hmm. So, I mean, are you going beyond just Christian books to say, well, look, you know, there's a whole world of philosophy, culture that one could engage with as a Christian? Some of the book recommendations will help people get that way. So, for example, hmm. one of Pete Gregg's books uh, that he recommended was by Andy Crouch, an American author, called Culture Making. And uh, that's a fantastic book about actually the Christian church's engagement with culture. And his argument is actually we spent a lot of time criticizing culture, so as if we're Mm. somehow distant from it. (laughs) And, you know, I'm a a big fan of Francis Schaeffer. You know, his books uh, particularly Escape from Reason uh, and, you know, How Then Shall We Live were really powerful for my formation. But he spends a long time criticizing the way that culture operates. And actually, what Andy Crouch suggests is we need to spend more time making culture, so creating cultural objects, creating institutions that will help people experience culture in a new way. So, so that's definitely a stream. Um, others books, there's a great book uh, by Nancy Piercy that we review. Um, oh, yeah. And she spends a lot of time analyzing some of the implicit values of I suppose, atheistic and secularized culture. So we're equipping people to engage that way. But the, the project is really broad. We want to tool up and equip yeah. Christians like, to know their faith. And if you know your faith, that has to involve cultural engagement as well. Yeah. And looking at the website, I mean, it's, it's very professionally done. I mean, the, the website itself is very slick and the video production is of a very high quality. I think you've only got two there at the moment. But obviously, from what you said, you've interviewed people and those other things are yeah. they're being edited or something. Um, but um, another yeah, question yeah. about this before we leave this is that you talk about interviewing significant Christian leaders. I mean, what does that mean? I mean, <laughs> l- let me just say that, you know, shouldn't yeah. we also be listening to insignificant people i mean in my own life experience has been learning from people who are unknown and you know i think of one particular person i talk about quite a lot on this podcast hardly anybody knows him but he had a huge impact on me yeah well the way this um project is being funded is from the publishers so all the publishers i could get on board um and there's five of them that are now you know part of the project so they're they're the funding source behind it and what we've asked them to do is suggest people that they would like us to be listening to. So, you know, sometimes the Piper pays, uh, who pays the Piper? Oh, I can't even remember the quote now. That's terrible, isn't it? I think we all know the one you mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the thing is, the authors can't suggest their own books. It's them talking about books that have shaped their lives. So, that, you know, it's not just, you know, buy my book. This is a kind of sales technique. So we are trying to get... I suppose literary engagement and we hope by doing that all the boats will rise everyone will you know, benefit um, but if there's funding I'd love to kind of help move this out of the kind of normal realm of some of the kind of Christian celebrities if you like yes um, I guess you know you know how funding works you have to start somewhere my hope is that we can kind of extend it and deliver it and some of the books we're suggesting are, are by people that maybe you've never heard of or people haven't heard of mm. and we're shining a light on work that way so yeah totally agree yeah. but I guess you have to start somewhere. Yeah, okay, that, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so you have a live event going on on the 11th of October. That's part of the Cheltenham Literature Festival. What will Books for Life be doing there? So we know there are 400 literary events that happen around the UK every year. And as far as we can tell, the church hasn't really engaged with this thinking literate audience. Mm-hmm. So we thought, let's, let's give it a try. Let's see what we can build. And so this year, uh, for the first time, 
uh, we're running a kind of guerrilla fringe event that's taking place during the same time as the literary festival not officially part of the festival this year it's like an alternative festival within a festival Um, and the hope is if if it gains traction then we'll be able to do things officially with some of these literary festivals we've got a fantastic lineup we've got uh, Elaine Storkey coming to talk about uh, her new book which engages with violence against women and what the church can be doing about that we've got Ruth Valerio talking about just living so the whole environmental crisis Uh, we've got Pete Gregg talking about um, his own journey of prayer and suffering and how those two kind of fit together I'm going to be talking about the paradox of pain so Mm. drawing a lot on some of C.S. Lewis's work uh, in that space Uh, we've got Bob Hartman talking about why storytelling and biblical literacy is really important for kids we've got Paula Gooder talking about why heaven isn't what you think it is but it might be even better than you'd hoped so we've got a really cracking lineup and we just encourage your listeners to come along if they can Mm. Um, you can buy half a day ticket you can come for the whole day it's going to be like the Christian version of a TED Talk uh, festival. So you'll be hearing all sorts of things and all sorts of big ideas. And it's going to be great to invite people to that are exploring faith because some of these issues are bridge points for people to engage with the, the Christian message. Great. So people can find out how to get there and about uh, getting a ticket, etc. through the Books for Life website itself. Is that right? That's right. Booksforlife.uk. Come and visit, and uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from your listeners. Great, and uh, of course, turning now to the book, you mentioned that you're going to be talking about one of the paradoxes to do with pain. Um, of course, that mm. connects very much with what you have been talking about in this book, which was published, I believe, in 2014. Yeah. Um, I came across that because you were speaking at Spring Harvest a couple of summers ago, and oh, you yeah. mentioned about the book, and there were loads of these books all around. I thought, well, let's have a look at that, and it was very <laughs> interesting, actually. I do think it is a good book. And, um, oh, good. I mean, I, th- I think it's an ambitious book. I'm sure you will agree in the sense yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you try to deal with you know some really difficult issues in that text. Um, I mean, it's not a difficult sure. read. I think you've made it very no. straightforward, very approachable. Um, it's, it's one of those books, I think, that you, you, know, you can come to it and make it as difficult, as simple as you like, depending upon how much you want to engage with it. Yeah. You can think, reflect yeah. upon these issues. Um, so uh, you call it paradoxology. <laughs> Great mm. title. What, what do you mean by that? So it's a multi-layered title. So we are talking about paradox. So... And ology is discourse about, so it's discourse about paradox. Uh, but in, in the middle of the word paradoxology, you have the word doxology, which is to offer praise to God. And so we think that's quite an exciting idea, that it's in the paradoxes, it's in the difficult parts of the scriptures that we might come to know God and be able to worship him better. The subtitle is why Christianity was never meant to be simple. And my fear is sometimes in a bid to make the faith accessible, or even in our and our witness, we've sometimes glossed over the difficult parts mm. and we've lost some of the mystery and uh, the beauty of some of the difficult parts of Scripture. So the book was a little bit of therapy for me um, yeah. in that yeah. there were issues that I really wrestled with as a believer and as, you know, as, a, as an academic and as a, a lecturer. And I thought, look, if I'm wrestling with those, I wonder if I, if I can deal with them, whether that, that might help some other people. And it's, it's not intended for theologians, you know, it's not intended for the yeah. kind of professional academic. It's intended as a, a bit of a gateway for people that might be uh, a bit nervous about doing straight theology. And so if, yes. they, if they use this book as a kind of gateway for further study. Yeah. And we try not to tie things up too simply. Mm. Um, sometimes, you know, one of the wonderful but challenging parts of the Christian faith is God doesn't fit into our rationality. And we allow God to be 
the person that we're trying to understand rather than trying to fit him in some kind of cookie cutter. Mm. And so sometimes we have to live with some tensions um, and that's actually okay. You know, that's actually yeah. more faithful to scripture than trying to push him into a shape that he doesn't quite fit. Right. Well, I'll come back to that uh, in a couple of minutes, actually, because that touches on issues to do with rationality. And, you know, some people could think that you're saying, well, rationality is no good. But, you know, I, I don't get from the book that you mean that at all. You, you, you're no. meaning something more. No. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you seem to be meaning yeah. something more like there are certain questions where we butt up against the limitations of our understanding. And we have to be humble to realize that. But actually, that's a good thing because it brings us yeah. to a realization of who yeah. we are before this God who is infinite. You know, that's right. I mean, one way of thinking about it, I use it as an illustration in the book. So my first degree was in chemistry, mm. and the first lecture we had of physical chemistry, they tried to explain to us about wave-particle duality and whether, you know, light was a, a wave or a particle. And the answer was, yes, it's a wave and a particle. And even though those seem to be mutually contradictory things, because a wave can be in two places at once and a particle can't, a wave doesn't have mass, but a particle does. You know, how, how can light be that? Mm. And, you know, the temptation is to chop light down and say, well, okay, look, that's too complicated. Let's just call light a wave and, and pretend we didn't see the particle-based evidence. Mm. Mm. And the same is true with God. You know, so people ask questions about the Trinity. Well, is God one or three? Well, yes, you know, he's, he's one being but three persons. So it's not three gods. Right. And, and yet he's not a unitary God. He's not a, a kind of some kind of monolith. Um, and so our brains don't have a category for that. And when you're trying to describe what the Bible has to say about God, um, you know, some of the other alternative faiths would say, OK, look, that's too complicated. Let's ignore the evidence that points to God as Trinity and just say God is is a singularity. And that's that's not fair to the evidence. And even though the word Trinity doesn't exist in Scripture, it's the yeah. best explanation or approximation that we've got Indeed. to cover all of the evidence. Sure. That's what, what the Jehovah's Witnesses say all the time, isn't it? Or yeah. it's not actually in the Bible, but as you say, it covers what's there, it's the, yeah. cover the data that we're given, yeah. Exactly. So we're not trying to turn people's rationality off. No. We're just encouraging people to think as hard as they can, and that's part of honouring God in worship. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, mm. but we don't want to overcook our rationality so that if we can't kind of nail it down or give it an analog or fully, you know, put God in a box, um, that it's the box that needs to change rather than God. That's that's the idea. Right. So to repeat, to be absolutely clear about this, you're not saying that there are actual theological truths, as it were, that are actually in themselves contradictory. I understand from the book you're saying yeah. they're going to seem like that to us sometimes because, yeah. well, you know, a rat isn't going to understand, understand mathematics. We don't understand God when it comes to <laughs> yeah. the brick wall, as it were. Sure, sure. And that's OK. Um, mystery can sometimes be used as a cop out. As if, yeah. oh, I don't need to think anymore, it's all mystery. Well, that, that's not what we're saying. Well, that's what Dawkins says, isn't it? Richard Dawkins says exactly that. You know, so people of faith say, oh, there's a mystery, all oh, good. But the scientist says a mystery, ah, we're working on that. You know, he, he sort of caricatures yeah. this sort of thing and distorts it, really. Yeah, but we're saying, no, actually, the idea that God is, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that he's bigger than we can comprehend, um, that's actually part of the wonder of it. And it doesn't mean we think less, it means we think more. And realize that however hard we think and however well we study, there's still more to be enjoyed and, and celebrated and worshipped in the God that we're looking at. So yeah. I think science has, you know, my scientific friends and the scientific community I was part of 
Um, that's part of the wonder of science, isn't it? There's still more to explore of the universe. We haven't wrapped it all up yet. And I think that's part of the joy of Christianity. And if we sell people short by saying, oh, no, it's really simple. You know, just believe these four points and you've got the gospel. I think, <laughs> I think we actually sell people short. God is more complicated, but that's a good thing. Yes. And of course, this, the conversation we're having there can sound very abstract, but in fact, no, you've got it very grounded. I mean, I'm certainly grounded in Scripture, because I think one of the things you do that is really good is that you go from chapter to chapter covering books and characters in the Bible, going from the Old Testament through to the New Testament. And one of the things I really noticed you, you did with it was that as you move from chapter to chapter, like stepping stones, you obviously don't cover everything, you remind mm. us of the biblical storyline as you go. You say, oh, as mm. you know, happened with Abraham, and then as happened with Moses, etc. Why did you do it that way well i'm passionately committed to uh, helping the church come to love enjoy and celebrate the bible you know i'm mm. absolutely convinced god reveals himself through scripture and it's by meditating on scripture right. that we come to a fuller picture of him and i'm, I'm a fan of systematic theology but okay. there's something powerful about allowing the biblical narratives to set the tone um, so rather than trying to find 10 yeah. proof texts that prove something about god i want well, yes. what, what happens if you take the story of Abraham and Isaac? You know, that is a really odd story. You know, why would God, you know, after, you know, Abraham and his wife Sarah have been waiting so long to have a child, and then why would God ask them to sacrifice that child? What was God doing? Is he toying with it? So allowing the power of the narrative to disrupt our, I suppose, casual thinking about God. Yes. And what's been fun about that for me is that some of my really conservative friends love it you know they, they see the biblical exposition they see the kind of you know trying to engage fairly with scripture not trying to force scripture into some kind of mold uh, they love that but actually some of my more progressive friends are really excited that we're looking at these big questions so i've been so pleased it's it's really worked right across the evangelical mm. spectrum and would you say that you are essentially a preacher? Because I notice a lot of times there are a lot of anecdotes and illustrations that are coming out. Is that, is that, are you a heart of hearts, a, a preacher? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I, one of the reasons I've had lots of different jobs is I probably don't know what heart of hearts I am. <laughs> well, um, fair enough. I am passionate about helping people engage with God. And I think preaching has got a really powerful part in that. But I spend probably spend as much of my time writing as I do preaching at the moment um, so whether that's through you know blogging and or even video production and book writing so I, I think maybe a communicator is part of it we're trying to build a bridge between some of the academic theology that people will never open and never read and the general public that's that's one of the things that we're passionate about yeah um have you got time for you know for another five minutes or so because i wanted to yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. fine let's do that Okay, because I just wanted to sort of concretize this a little with one example yeah. um, okay. from one of your chapters. So I mean, there are sure. a number of them, you know, that I would love to talk to you about because you know we are yeah. limited. But but there's one called the Moses paradox, which I you know I particularly liked, where you talk about the yeah. really weird experiences that this Hebrew leader Moses yeah. had. Um, he he encounters God um, as simultaneously close to him. He has that burning bush experience yeah. and, and what yeah. he understands to be God speaking to him personally. And yet at the same time, there's this this paradoxical sort of distance because Moses is told don't get too yeah. close and you know take your sandals off because this is That's now right. holy ground um so, so we've got that closeness that distance yeah. and you, yeah. you you put that in the language of imminence and transcendence yes. you bring you bring a lot out of that actually so I mean why did you choose that particular paradox mm. for so much discussion well I, I find it really fascinating and it's it, I think it's at the heart of the exodus story 
So you have this cool narrative for Moses, as you rightly say, that, that e- even the, the idea of a burning bush, so like a, a flame is immediately attractive to Moses and he's drawn to it like a moth to a flame. Yeah, yeah. But he can't get too close or he'll get burnt up. You know, that's, that's kind of, that's the tension, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that tracks through the rest of Exodus. You know, God has called his people out of Egypt. Let my people go. Why? So that they can be with me. And then when God's people are escaped from Egypt, he sets up the whole tabernacle system, which actually bars God's people from being face to face with him because he's too holy. Only, only the priest, chief priest can go into the Holy of Holies, you know, once a year on the Day of Atonement. Right. So, you know, you've right. got yeah. that tension going on. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's a really interesting way to think about the gospel. So we have a loving Heavenly Father and, you know, we all love the parable of the prodigal son. He's the father that runs down the road, that embraces the rebel and, you know, is willing to hug him and take him in. And, and that is one beautiful aspect of God, that he is right here with us and wanting intimacy. But he is also the holy other. He's the transcendent one. He's the one that doesn't fit into our categories. He's, he's so holy that, you know, we can't exist near him because God is good in him. There's no, you know, God is light in whom there's no darkness at all. So you, that tension is a beautiful one. And sadly, the church often gets it wrong one way or another. So we often over-egg the imminent. So, you know, God's our best mate. You know, he's just the, the old man upstairs. And we can turn up in our, you know, jeans with our butts hanging out. And, you know, God, God doesn't care. You know, there's that. Well, the G- G- uh, you had in the book, uh, Jesus is my girlfriend. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that, yeah. that's all, you know, and, and they're, mm, they're mm. partly right. You know, there's enough biblical evidence that you can see where they're coming from, but they've neglected this aspect of the holy, transcendent, beautiful God. But the, the, there is another tribe where it's all about that. You know, God is so right. holy that I'm just a worm and I'm a worm all the time. You know, there's nothing good about me. I'm only evil. And, and, and they've overegged yes. the transcendence. And, and it's really difficult. That's why I love hanging out with Christians from different tribes, because they can kind of keep us in check. You know, I love my conservative buddies. I love my progressive buddies. And somewhere between them, we're, we're going to get it right. And so we, yeah. we need both. And that's one of the gifts, maybe, of the kind of different denominations and tribes, um, that we can hold each other to account. Um, and we need a more unified church to be a more faithful church by allowing those tribes to say, hold on. You know, you might have overcooked it over there. I might have cooked, overcooked it over here. What can we learn from each other? And I, I find a lot of benefit in spending time with yeah. Christians from other cultures, actually, because often they don't have the same mm. issues that we do. They have different issues, I'm sure, but they help us to spot some of our blind spots in these things. I get what you say there, and I, I agree in principle. But I think there's also a danger, and this has come out in a number of other interviews, actually, where we can pl- yeah. we can sort of play that game in a political way so that it can turn into, yeah. well, nobody's wrong about anything. And, right. and, that's, and that's actually very easy to fall into, because when, when you, you're making relationships with people, because you don't want to upset anybody, and so you yeah. tend to sort of paper over differences. And, and I don't get the impression that's what you mean. You are talking, I think, about a genuine learning from each other, but when we find points of doctrine for example that yeah. you know we, we can't agree with well then we can't agree with them we, we lovingly say that's the case do you agree i do i do and you're right mm. there is there is a way in which we buy into the kind of totality tolerance that goes on in our culture and you know you can never call each other out actually a genuine relationship means you can yes. uh, one of the proverbs says isn't it that the wounds of a friend are trustworthy mm. um, in other words i, I want to be 
close enough to you that I can actually help you by, by pointing out what's actually wrong. And I need to have the humility to hear that. Um, sometimes we're only yes. willing to do that to other people and not have it done to us. <laughs> well, um, true. But you're right, we can learn from each other. I mean, I have, I have learned things from my liberal theological friends, and I've learned things from my fundamental theological friends. And, you know, I agree with certain things, disagree with yeah. other, certain other things, but I, I, I agree with you. We shouldn't be frightened to engage in that conversation, either inside our heads, you know, with a book in front of us, or one-to-one. No. -one. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I know that your push for time, You, I, I think anybody can hear that you are on a journey at the moment, so I think we need to obviously draw this conversation to a close. It's only fair to you. Thank you ever so much, Chris, for coming on the program it's been it has been an absorbing conversation i'd love to talk to you more about it but uh, the situation is as it is i'm very grateful to you for taking this time to talk with us oh my pleasure julian and lovely to talk to you too i look forward to hearing more from your podcast well that's very kind before we just do actually close will you please just indicate where people can go for your books for life again so books for life is at booksforlife.uk if you want to see more about some of the books i've written i have a separate blog called chrisk.com and uh, there's there's a place where people can leave messages if they've got further questions from what came up in the podcast today. Ah, great. And Paradoxology is still available, I understand, from Hodder and Stoughton, or is it Stoughton? I don't know how to pronounce that. <laughs> I think they're Hodder Faith now in the UK. Oh, are they? Um, right, okay. But the good news, I know you've got some American listeners, yeah. and um, IVP US has just picked up the book, so it should be up out in the States in January. Ah, splendid. Okay, well, thanks very much, Chris, for coming on. It's been a delight to speak to you. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks, okay. Julian. Catch you later. Great interview. Right. Julian. Thank Very you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So, as you've heard, TMR is now back after its summer break and beginning the autumn season of programmes. I apologise for the fact that I didn't manage to get those couple of podcasts out over the summer that I had intended to do, but I'm afraid things just didn't work out for one reason or another, and I did feel slightly guilty about that for a bit, but then I thought, well, actually, I'm supposed to enjoy the summer and not let things get to me, so... I'm afraid I decided just to relax about it and let it go. So that's what I did. And we had a very pleasant break. And I very much hope that you managed to enjoy the summer as well. But I do apologize for not having managed to do as I had intended. I have begun to update the schedule page. There's not a lot there yet. Uh, that's not, of course, because I have nothing in the pipeline. Um, there are several things waiting to be finalized. Um, of course, I had hoped to have a, a massive list of, of items you know, ready to advertise on the page, but again, that just didn't work out much to my frustration. There are indeed, though, several guests I'm still organizing things with, and I shall give details as those become a little bit more concrete in the coming days and weeks. So please do keep checking back at the schedule page to see how things shape up there. And just before we close, I'm going to take the opportunity to thank a listener based in New Zealand for an absolutely fabulous comment on iTunes. Really quite humbling to receive that. Thank you ever so much for taking the time to write that. And indeed, my thanks to everyone who's left a rating and or review on iTunes. Perhaps this isn't the best time to talk about such things when I've produced so little over the last several weeks. But then again, when you do divide TMR's output by the time it's been in existence, I think it's doing OK. So again, if you do like the show, please do show your support by giving it a comment and or rating where you can. And in fact, here's a little challenge. I'm still waiting for the very first one on Stitcher. So if you do use that service, then please do consider leaving your mark there with respect to the show. So that's it for today short and sweet this time 
Not so every time, I'm absolutely sure there are going to be many things to discuss over the coming weeks and months. But as I say, that's it for today. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles of themindrenewed.com, and I very much look forward to speaking to you again in the very near future. 